Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Vin and Ali podcast. I, I said podcast. It's the Vin and Ali show. Damn it. Damn it. It's deja vu. It's as if this has already happened. Welcome to the Vin and Ali show, which is a podcast. In this episode, we're talking about the book by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. This book was kind of a fitting read. I mean, the reason we covered this book, Ali, was because I was saying, hey, we should read Seth Godin, uh, the Purple Cow book. And then you suggested. I suggested that why don't we look at doing one on the mindset and a bit of resilience as given the times at the moment. And I thought that's such right. a good idea. And and the moment I picked up this book and started reading it, it, I mean, this is the ultimate book on mindset. It's, it's unreal. I mean, a little bit about David Goggins. Let me just bring up a few of my notes about this guy, just in case you don't know who he is. I mean, surely yeah. most people do at this point. But this is a man who went through Hell Week, which is a Navy SEAL kind of training. He went through it three times to become a Navy SEAL. He became an ultra marathon runner and ran 135 miles in Death Valley in summer. And it took him only 32 hours. It would take me probably a whole year to do that. And he, he did 4,030 4, pull-ups in 17 hours, world record. And 430 is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, I know. He added the 30. What a freaking monster. Added the thousands. Stop that 30. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and he did all of that while he had a hole in his heart yeah, that well. is insane yeah and then we were making the joke what have we done <laughs> that that matches yeah. that level of physical domination yeah no, well i mean i i i am currently going through the keto diet and not eating a lot of carbs and that yep. i have to tell you it takes a extremely resilient man to be able to not eat hot chips and oh. potato chips and oh the, dude it's been so hard chips. straight after this i'm gonna so get some hard. chips and then i'll send you a photo <laughs> of me eating chips keep eating chips all day oh don't yeah. do that but yeah <laughs> oh man but i mean that's it, it just it was just such a a refreshing book to read to see someone push through adversity yeah the way that david goggins did it was super inspiring it was super inspiring it's, it's definitely inspiring, but I also, and I don't know if you found this, but I kind of found it, I felt tired and exhausted for, for him when I looked at his journey too. Yeah. Like there was so much just going for the most nuts achievement over and over again. And I wonder what sort of toll that took in terms of, you know, like like going through Hell Week and you know, just for context, that's the SAS, the Special Forces boot camp, essentially, that gets you into into the SEALs, right? It's one of the toughest things that you can do. Very few people make it. He did that three times, and then he goes through the stories of all the injuries that he experienced and copped during that time. And, like, it, on one hand, it's such an amazing story 
of resilience. But then on the yeah. other hand, it's also probably a story of maybe nearly unfulfillment and just going for the extreme outcome over and over again. Mm, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I really feel that it's, it's one of those stories where, I mean, I started wondering really when I was reading this and I went, mm. I wonder if this guy, I mean, is he this 24 seven now? Is yeah. there any part of him that, that isn't this, mm. you know, I mean, it just seems so superhuman. It's it's one of those stories where it's so easy to to read it and then you feel defeated reading it as well. <laughs> because you go, well, you know, he, he ran a race. He went through the Navy SEAL training hell week with broken shins, yep. like broken legs. I accidentally stubbed my toe on a cupboard and I, I'm in so much pain. <laughs> <laughs> we called an ambulance. I, yeah, I woke up the other night. No word of a lie. Yeah. This was insane. I woke up in the middle of the night with a cramp in my calf. And yeah. I kid you not, I had to wake <laughs> Pei Wen up. I was, I, there were tears in my eyes. And I was doing, I was sleeping. I was That's sleeping hilarious. and I got a cramp and I almost bloody died, oh. man. It was insane. So to think we this started- guy ran... You had with broken legs. <laughs> we started doing soccer training and soccer coaching with the kids this season. And yeah. I remember after the first season, we ran around with the kids for about five minutes, me and three of the dads who were uh, two of the dads <laughs> that were doing the coaching. And then training again is two days later, and we all caught up. And I'm like, boys, how, how'd you pull up after that? And the guy's like, oh, I woke up in the middle of the night with like a cramp, like kicked my wife. I'm like, yeah, I had to go get a massage the next day because I think I pulled a hamstring. And literally we we're running around with them for five minutes. So, yes, I reckon put his achievements in perspective. <laughs> I reckon we should write a book called Everything Hurts Me. Yeah, everything hurts. <laughs> can hurt <Yeah>. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything can hurt me. Uh, and anti goggins. You know, it's yeah, anti goggins. Well, I mean, like yeah. like anything, right? I think there there are people born on the extremes, right? Yeah. And I just, you know, I I read this book. I, I wanted the inspiration from this book, so I read it with that mm. mindset in mind, right? Yep. It, whereas I think again, it can be very easy for some people to read it. And just become demoralized. As, <laughs> as inspiring as it is, you just think, wow, I could never do that though. Yeah. And then that's what happens in the keynote speaking world. I think when your stories are so crazy like David's story, it's so easy for people not to connect with it because you think to yourself, well, sure, you can do it, David. You're a bloody monster, but I can't. Even though throughout the book, he keeps saying, you know, I'm writing this book because I want you to become your own superhero. I mean, that was the undertone throughout the entire book. However, when, when you have a, a story as crazy as David, sometimes it repels people. But, but I read it with a very open mind and I actually got a lot from this book and, and, it, and it really inspired me in many different oh. ways. I think one of the, the best things about this book is just he's a great storyteller. Yeah. Like, oh, whether absolutely. you love him or hate him or somewhere in between. The, the stories are so engaging. They just grab you. Like mm. you can listen, like his stories will, like each chapter probably when you're listening to it as an audible, for example, each chapter goes yeah. for about an hour, but mm. it feels like 10, 15 minutes because the storytelling is just so on point, which is. And he sounds uh, so intense. I wonder if he talks oh, like yeah. that all the time to his wife. Oh, surely. 
Sure. You know, yes. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's such a crazy intense voice. I mean, I love it when he jumps in and he starts talking and uh, the audiobook was such a fantastic experience. So you should definitely check out the audiobook if you haven't. Yeah, for sure. All right, All right, let's, let's, let's jump into it. Let's jump into let's it. Let's do it. What was the what was the first thing that grabbed your attention? What 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 did you take from this book? What was one of the first things? I really think I mean, his childhood was very interesting. Like when you look at how he grew up, you know, growing up in a pretty rough family situation. You know, his father was a bit of an alcoholic, pretty violent Abusive. towards. He's yeah, abusive towards his brothers and his mom. And I really think that that's a very interesting thing to have, a, have to overcome at a very young age, you know, and that bit just resonated with me a little bit when I was reading it to see that, okay, well, he, he went through a really tough childhood, but it seems like he had that mentality of, well, these things aren't going to hold me down you know, or if they did hold him down at some point, like everything that was crap that happened to him, he has, like his real superpower is turning that into fuel to then overcome mm. that situation, which I thought was really interesting. Like, you know, we've spoken about it in a number of different episodes, like that it's nearly like that FU type of mentality mm. to move forward. And that's what this book really puts forward. You know, the drivers around whether it's overcoming, yeah, family situation or failing and then using that as continuous fuel. It's almost the the ultimate warrior story, isn't it? It's that no matter what came his way, he pushed through it. And and the fact that, like you said, his childhood was so tough, you know, abusive dad even abused his mom and, and he was so young, he couldn't fight back and he Again, it was just so traumatizing listening to how terrible of a childhood he had. But he had this toolkit since he was a kid. I mean, what, what I'm curious about is do you develop the toolkit as a result of the adversity or was this something he was born with? I mean, that's what I'm so curious about because he seems to have had this toolkit at such a young age. Yeah. I think when you grow up in that type of environment, just – and this is purely from experience, not to the extreme levels that he had. Yeah, yeah. But I think it does. I think there's two ways that it can pan out if you've had a rough upbringing. One is that you end up becoming pretty defeated and it could go down a relatively dark path off the woe me story, you know, and it generally ends up in some sort of substance abuse or a series of questionable decisions along the way or you can use it as fuel that all right i don't want my life to pan out like that i want it to be something different Mm. so there's definitely a component just as as his story and his chapters keep unfolding that i think a lot of it is probably linked to the childhood experiences there we had without being uh, a psychologist or putting any type of professional opinion on it uh Mm. That would just be, yeah, from what I've seen and just from my own personal experiences is, like, I know for me it was that. It's like, uh, let's break out of this mold. You've got it on that sign in your backdrop there, but it's kind of that. It's all right, can we use these things, acknowledge them, and then can we find the value in them to then move forward? How did How did you break out of that? I mean, did you, I mean, I know that, you know, your dad as well, he was, 
an alcoholic mm-hmm. and that was rough on you as a kid. How did you, I mean, were you ever in the victim? Did you ever have the victim mentality as a kid and then had to break out of that? Or were you always, you know, resilient? I mean, was there a moment when you played the victim or you felt like the victim? I'm sure there would have been times as a kid, like where just like every normal kid, you're like, oh, why am I in this situation when you see your friends with the more normal family life or household life? So maybe those thoughts do come in. But mm. I was always of the mentality of I wasn't trying to fix that situation. You know, like it wasn't my dream to make that work. It was more like my dream was always to get out of it. You know, so even when I was growing up, like I, I can remember it from a very young age, just being like to mum, you know, let's leave, let's let's get out of the house, let's move out. And that was from like super young. Maybe, me and my mum were talking about this the other day, maybe like three, four years old. You know, wow. but back then times were different, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't that easy for a single mum to get out of that environment, and I don't think it is now either. It's quite a common, common situation where relationships probably do extend past their shelf date, um, mm. and just because of the practicalities of it, it's pretty difficult, especially in those situations where it's kind of abusive or um, in that type of line. But yeah, for me, it was more around. Like, and that's why I think freedom is such a big value of mine as well. It's because of the environment. Environment and freedom is really key around, okay, how do I feel in this environment? And even nowadays, I'm still pretty sensitive to it. It's like, all right, if the vibes aren't good, I probably don't really want to be there. But I think that's got a lot to do with the upbringing around mm. um, that side. But yeah, I think it was probably a little bit more pragmatic. I was always like, all right, well, this is shit. Can we improve it? And that's probably been something that's relatively inherent in my DNA is how do we progress this thing? It's it's so interesting knowing your story and then, you know, reading David's story and then knowing my own story. I, I've been so lucky in that, you know, compared to David Goggins' life, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I had a silver spoon in my mouth. I, I, I My mom and dad were so supportive and they were so loving, you know, and, and, I don't know what would have happened to me if I was in a situation like you or David Goggins, right? I, I I don't know if I would have had the toolkit to be able to get through that because, man, when you're young, your formative years, you don't even know who you are yet. You haven't even developed all the strengths and you don't, aren't even aware of your weaknesses. You don't even, you don't, freaking every, you know, you go through puberty, everything's just crazy. I can't imagine at the same time while you're going through Adolescence, you have to deal with all this adversity. It's insane. And I have to yeah. give props to the the mum, like David Goggins' mum, and even your mum, making that decision ultimately to get out. I mean, far out. You've got to be so courageous, especially if you're with someone who's abusive. I mean, far out. That's scary. I mean, the story he told when they were escaping and, and getting away from David Goggins' dad, where the mum had to sneak in a credit card, get him to sign it, but then really play to his ego so that that whole week she was doing everything he wanted her to do. And then she just slipped the credit card form in front of him and he signed it because he felt so good. And they had to use a, like a credit card that he signed off to escape yeah. because they had no money. Hmm. Yeah. Just, well, that's what just seemed like. Yeah. Even when we left, like that was the same with my mom. Like my mom was working 12 hour shifts you know, at night working double shifts at times to make the move. 
And that was also so she could pay rent at both of the houses. So when we did make the move, like the house that we moved into was being rented while we weren't even there yet, while the transition of the move was happening. Because, yeah, it's who knows how it's going to play out if it's not done pretty carefully. So, yeah, it's, it involves so much planning and strategizing and luck for it to be relatively clean. And even after that, there's always some sort of follow-up. <laughs> it never just ends like that, usually, I don't think. Um, when when yeah. you get into those situations, and I think when there's a lot of adversity, realistically, there's two paths, right? One path is you allow it to at times cripple you. And then the second path is you go, well, no, I'm going to use it as fuel. And I'm just curious about what is it that allows someone to create and turn that into fuel versus someone just allowing that to really cripple them? What is it? I mean, for you, the word you use was you're very pragmatic. And I think if you don't have a pragmatic mindset or pragmatic approach and you're more emotionally driven, I think it can crush you. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Is there any more there that you can dig into? I mean, again, David Goggins in his book doesn't really talk about it until his later years where he talks about the, the, the callousing of the mind, mm. but it's. Yeah, I think it's yeah. exactly what you said there. It's kind of just when you were saying that I was thinking of, you know, the term fight or flight, you mm. know, and I think we all have very natural tendencies for that. You know, some people will flight and retreat and some will fight. Some will swap in between. But I think in that situation, this is just an option of a toolkit, which is the fight version at a pretty extreme level. But then I also wonder, like when you look at David Goggins' story, you know, and we, we speak about a lot of this in a few of the other episodes, is did this approach give him happiness or was it just a functional way to progress? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's just something that I look at now as well when I reflect at this point in the journey too. It's like, all right, you can keep achieving things and you can keep making those achievements more and more ridiculous. And maybe you need them to an extent to pull you out mm. because his story also was that he was something like 365 pounds, right? And then he lost all that weight. So he had, and he obviously had marriage breakdowns. He had some dark moments there too, but it felt like in his story that he would focus on these projects on these really extreme projects and that's where he would then channel his energy and that would probably, um, you know, most likely be a more productive way to, to move forward. But then I also wonder like whether, yeah, he got that. If he ever found peace or happiness in that approach as well, because, and the other option is, yeah, you can retreat, but then you still have to then figure it out. So either way you're in the fight, like it doesn't matter even, even if you've had the most, you know, like going back to upbringing, you can have a silver spoon upbringing, the most perfect upbringing. It doesn't guarantee like success or happiness or all those things because that that type of upbringing comes with its own challenges as well, whether it's parental expectations, it's pressure, it's any of those things. So I think it's very, as we always say, it's a bit of everything. It's yin and yang. Yeah, the answer is probably both. But I nature and nurture. Big, nature and nurture, but I just think that being the victim and like really going all in on the victim strategy, I haven't seen that work too much. 
because at the end of the day, you're the one living that victim type mentality. Like, yeah, you might get some sympathy from others, but to me, it's like if you can somehow flip the switch from being the victim into owning the story and then using the story to then fuel other bits and pieces. Like, that's why his story is so powerful too, because he owns all of the vulnerability within it. Like, it's funny, it's this really macho type of storytelling, but when you dig deeper, it's actually highly vulnerable. Like, he shares pretty yeah. much all of it, warts and all. Um, There's one part where he talks about, I mean, one idea that you can use to be able to help yourself move from the victim mentality, I think, into the, you know, I guess more warrior mentality mm-hmm. is that that accountability mirror that David Goggin talks about and the accountability mirror. What he did was he just stood in front of the mirror, had conversations with himself where he called out the truths that at the time for him, he called out that, Hey, I'm not just slightly overweight. I'm really obese. I'm really fat. Yeah. And he, he had that harsh conversation with himself where he said, it's okay to be harsh with yourself as long as it's for improvement. Whereas I think a lot of the times we like to sugarcoat stuff. You know, We like to take the easy way out and we sometimes turn a blind eye to all the things that are affecting us in our lives negatively. So for him, that accountability mirror allows him to have a really truthful conversation with himself. And I think that's something that even I need to do at times with certain areas of my life. And I think that's one of the ingredients that, that, that allows us to switch from victim mentality because victim mentality is when we say, oh, the world is against me, you know, nothing's going my way. Whereas when you take accountability for your own life, it, I think the accountability mirror is one of the methods to, to make that switch. Yeah, I really like that. I think, and there's another book that's in a similar sort of ilk by another Navy SEAL, which is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willenick. I don't know if I've said his name right or not, but it seems like that's something pretty cool. Like I've got no military connections or I'm like the opposite. I have no idea about how that world works, but it feels like there's a couple of systems within, whether it's the SEALs environment or the military environment that just teaches things like accountability, ownership, um, being responsible for whatever it is that your role entails. Like there's so many cool little lessons in that around just true accountability and just owning it. I think just keeping it, I keep going back to that word of ownership mm-hmm. where like, like when you think about a situation that happens to, to us, you know, it's, it's never objectively good or bad. It just depends on how we look at that situation. Like something that happens to you that you feel is really bad I might look at it and be like, what are you talking about? Being like, that's not even that bad. Like it's something so simple. So Mm. like, that's the thing that's really tricky with this is that there's no black and white rule for, are you being a victim? Are you being pragmatic? Because I might in my head think that I am a, I'm an action taker and I'm pragmatic and I can use a story to overfuel it. But then somebody else might be looking at it being like, oh shit, he doesn't do any of these things that he should be doing. Like, so at what line, do you, do you actually finish it off? I mean, a classic example of that, I think, is when before I kind of ventured out and did my own business, there are many people who view entrepreneurship as the worst thing you could do. Yep. And it's the worst thing for them because they they really want the security. They want that monthly, weekly, fortnightly paycheck. And to them, without that security, 
that's horrible. They don't want to deal with the anxiety of thinking that a paycheck's not on its way, right? So that's a classic example of one group of people love the idea and the thrill of being able to go out there and build something on your own. And other people are happy to help other people build something, but then get security in return. So, you know, it just, it depends on your mindset. And I think something that David Goggins wrote that was really cool is something along the lines of you change your clothes, you change your underwear, you change your hairstyle, you change your car, you change your house. But how often do you change your mindset? Mm. You know, what mindset do you currently have? And when's the last time you decided to consciously change that? And it could be that you've been living with a victim mentality or maybe you've been that hero and you need to take a step back because I can give you an example for me is that I I love being the hero in my life and in my network. And sometimes I love that so much that I take on so much responsibility, I cripple those around me from growing. Because anytime someone needs something done, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'll help you. (laughs) And then after a while, people around you start losing motivation, losing drive, because in a way they go, oh, but Vin will do it. Yeah, I don't need to do that. Vin will do it. He'll take care of it. You know, and in a way you're robbing other people of growth because you always play the hero. So there's a negative there too. That's a good, every Friday, I'm just going to send you a list of stuff that I need done. Is that? (laughs) I'm not your hero, though. I'm, I'm everybody else's hero. You are I'm, now. Yeah. Now you are. I don't know that these services were about. Like, I, I don't want to be this. your hero, though. Oh, Come on, God. man. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think it's, it's yeah. powerful to think it's about changing your yeah. mindset. I mean, is your mm. mindset serving you? And when things happen, mm. we see everything through the filter of our mindset. And it's just is your mindset serving you? And if it's not, this is actually a great book to read to start to, to change your mindset. And I think one of the things I want to bring up now is the whole idea of callousing your mind. Mm. And it's one of I knew David Goggins. When, I knew you'd love this when I was reading it. I'm like, oh, Vin will love callousing well, the, your mind. It, it's such an empowering concept. And, and the concept of callousing your mind comes from when David Goggins was training to do the 4,030 pull-ups. What, what happened physically is that he started to develop really thick calluses on his hand and it became so thick that it numbed the pain to allow him to be able to do 4,030 pull-ups. And the only way he developed the callus was he continually faced the pain, endured the pain and went through it so that his skin started to develop the calluses. Then he says, well, you can do that with your mind as well. And the way you do it with your mind is you just have to every day look for something that's hard and do it. For example, right? And I tried it this morning and it was bloody awful. (laughs) I thought, and you do this all the time. But the thing that I thought I'd try this morning that was difficult was to have a cold shower. And I, I, I never do it. I did it once before when you told me this was probably about two, three years ago. And I was like, never again. That's the worst thing in the world. And then this morning I went, okay, let's try to slightly callous this, <laughs> this baby bum skin of mine. And then I did it. And man, it was so uncomfortable. It was awful. But then after I did it, it was amazing how fast I adapted to the cold water. It was just that initial epic discomfort. And then kind of adapted to it. And it was actually kind of a nice experience. It jolted my mind and I felt really alive and awake after that. Yep. But that's how he says you callous your mind is every day look for opportunities to do something that's uncomfortable that you don't want to do. His example was, if it's raining, go for a run or 
you've had a long day and you don't want to work out, do the hardest workout you've ever done in your life that night. And it's kind of just running at discomfort, not allowing it to overpower you, but just overcoming that fear of discomfort. And one more thing I'll link to this, and it's that it's the whole 40% rule that a lot of Marines talk about, where it's when you feel exhausted, you're only at 40% of your capacity. And they've even done research and and some of the scholars they mentioned was, I think Timothy Noakes was a professor in science and health. And he did the research. We had athletes do sport and at their point of exhaustion, he did muscle kind of scientific experiments and, and realized that they still had ample amount of output that they could generate. So it kind of proved scientifically that when we feel exhausted, that's more about our minds being overly fearful. It's not really the point of true exhaustion. And there's this really cool quote I wrote down that I thought was really cool that, that the professor Noak said, he goes, fatigue should no longer be considered a physical event, but rather just a sensation or emotion. I thought that was super empowering to know that physically when you think you're done, you still have 60% left. That's crazy. I'm going to try tonight. If this is true, I'm going to try it tonight and I will do it tonight. Normally I bike ride for about 45 minutes and I'm at, I'm spent. So what this technically means is that I could go for an hour and 45 minutes until I'm completely exhausted. All right, challenge is set. I'll, I'll, I'll try it and I'll send you a WhatsApp afterwards. But that's, yep. that's inspiring because what other areas of life does this apply to besides the physical realm? Yeah, speaking to one of um, to Adam, one of our team members, and he loves doing – Ironmans and and marathons and all of this. And we were chatting about Damn. when it's the hardest. And my assumption would have been, because I've never really done one, is my assumption would be that it's near the finish line or at the last bit. And he's like, no, nah, it's it's always halfway through. That's where your brain starts telling you that it's time to throw in the towel and to give up. So so he feels that too, even though he does this often. Yeah. It's, it's like with – I think it's with nearly – would it – is it just anything that we haven't done before? does it feel like that's the finish line? Like say, for mm. example, your, your bike riding example there. Like right now, do you just feel like 45 minutes is the limit, right? Like there's nothing, but that is the limit because that's as long as you've gone for Yeah, right now. Like and, tonight, and, and, and if you the- end up doing 100 minutes, will that just, does that just completely change it? It's like from now on, you always do 100 minutes. And then does that mean that you can do 200 minutes? Like, well, actually, just keep, actually, keep doubling. Actually, hold on. One of the things that he spoke about in the book is that it's not it's not smart to go from 45 minutes to immediately an hour and a half, 90 minutes, for example, or 100 minutes. What he said was what's smarter is you just add on 5% at a time. You kind of just reach for that PB. So because the, the, the gentleman that was helping him read the book, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that was helping him do that, he was saying, this is kind of crazy because if someone follows your advice and thinks there's 60% left in the tank and you know, do what I do tonight, some people could get really ill because their bodies are not built for it yet. You've got to you know, sequentially build it up. You can't just go from 
40 minutes to 100 minutes. So I just gave myself an out there, but I'm also following the rules of this book. I'm only going to do 50 minutes tonight. I'm not going to do... Are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. No. So in about two two weeks, you'll do 90 minutes. Yeah, put about two minutes. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's a challenge that I'm willing to take up and, and I hope you'll keep me accountable. But oh. it, it's one of those things where... I mean, the, the, the core thing I got from that callous your mind and 40% rule was that there's this statement here and it's it's how when you when you run away from something you're scared of, that thing becomes more scary. I mean, think about it in scary movies. When the main character in a movie turns around and faces the monster, as the viewer, you're no longer scared of the monster as compared to when the person's running away from the monster, you are so scared watching the movie. You're so scared of the monster. So to me, it's so true that when we face something that we're scared of, it loses its power. Whereas when we're running away from something we're scared of, we're going to get more and more and more scared. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to include this in my workshop next year. And it's that so many people are afraid of public speaking. And you could totally apply this philosophy to that too. So the more you try to run away from this, the more you try to avoid this thing that you're afraid of, it's only going to have more power over you. Just imagine it like hands that that grip you tighter and tighter as you try to run away. Or as whereas when you face it, it 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 just it loosens its grip. And mm. and the quote here is uh this is by the the psychologist Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels. They said your experience of pain changes relative to how you react to it. So your reaction to discomfort, your reaction to the things you fear actually determines how you experience it. Yeah. It's so cool. Huge. Yep. So and cool. To, even just on an emotional level is how amazing does it feel when you've had that thing sitting in the back of your mind that you know that you have to do or that you want to do, but, is the thing stopping you from doing it. And when you do actually overcome it, most of the time it's like, oh, wow. Like just the weight's off your shoulder. Like, oh, that thing wasn't even really that bad. Like whether it's bungee jumping or skydiving or public speaking, like the build-up prior to the event is usually the worst part of it. But mm. once you're in there, um, unless your plane crashes or the bungee rope snaps or, you know, you, you go on stage and you just can't utter out a word, for most people, that experience is going to be pretty liberating and that level of accomplishment. There's something cool in that. Like when we overcome our own limitations, there's probably no better dopamine feeling than getting past that finish line. And I think that's why people do climb mountains and run marathons and apply for those really tough courses, whether it's the SEALs or medical school or whatever it is, just because of that feeling of being one of a few that, that get through. I mean, I, I, I remember when I was going through the book, I, <laughs> I think like you, we, we, don't, we don't kind of put ourselves through much physical torture or no. physical discomfort. But I think in the world of entrepreneurship, we do put ourselves through a lot of mental discomfort. You know, I think there's a lot of mental discomfort in the world of entrepreneurship. You know, the the anxiety of, oh, when's the next gig coming through? When's the next customer going to buy my product? Yeah. Well, when is this a good idea? I, yeah. <laughs> <Where am I? laughs> or is it completely horrible? 
That's right. And I, I feel like there are times when we had metaphorical broken legs as we yeah. were running the race and the marathon of entrepreneurship, you know, and, and it's, it's, it was interesting reflecting on that. Do, do you have any stories that come to mind when you think about the hardships that you went through in entrepreneurship? I mean, I, I can share some, but I'd love to ask you first. <laughs> the whole thing is essentially a roller coaster of ups and downs. You, after a while, when you're getting punched in the face, you don't even really realize it. And I think that's that's sort of the the calluses off this journey. But yeah, the, there's heaps. Like one of the funny ones is, I, I'm not sure if I've shared this before, but I remember when we were going through. It was probably 2019, and we were nominated for the Telstra Business Awards. We've got you know, like when. We're up in lights for one of Australia's largest awards. And I remember sitting there with Rowan at the time and the invitation came through and it's like, oh, you get two complimentary tickets for the awards night. So on one hand, we're like celebrating this awesome achievement being one of four businesses to make the final. And then on the other hand, Rowan's like, oh yeah, but I think we can only afford, like you could buy up to eight tickets. Rowan's like, I think we can only afford two tickets. <laughs> so, so it looks like we're only going with our partners to this event. So it's like just these weird paradoxes that happen in business all the time just because, yeah, like a big bill. And I think at that exact same time, our Facebook ads account got hacked and we had thousands of dollars stolen. Like, So you just have all these little moments. Like, and there's so many of them. Like I remember launching our website and the thing goes live pretty much a few days before Christmas. Then half of it's not working properly. People's payments are getting taken out of their accounts. Like the team that's building the website are all on holidays for like eight days or 10 days. And <laughs> you're just sitting there. Like there's so many. Like, but I think it's like with everything in in that journey is, yeah. But it's just a roller coaster. Well, but I mean- and, and But you overcame all of those things. You overcame all of those challenges that came your way. And in David Goggins' words, that's you putting cookies in the cookie jar, right? <laughs> because what, what David Goggins says is that every time you go through something that's very difficult, you want to reach into your cookie jar. And he uses this as a, as a metaphor because no matter how hard his life got as a kid, every time his mom would come home, she'd fill up the cookie jar. And when times get really rough, she would bring out the cookie jar and tell him and his brother, hey, grab a cookie. And he goes, that cookie just made everything better. And he started to create a mental cookie jar. And the mental cookie jar was just a collection of memories where he overcame adversity and difficult times. So when you're going through difficult times, it's important to remember the times where you overcame challenging times. And this is this is very congruent. What about you? What Do you have an example? Today. Did you My have cookie? a yeah, yeah, like I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a cookie out. just from last week as I released my online course. You didn't know this. I don't think I told you. But when I released my online course, I gave everybody on my mailing list a coupon. Now, I didn't realize that the coupon I gave my mailing list was 100% off. Yeah, just giving it for free. Good. And then and then all of a sudden, I had all these signups. I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is great. The ride of entrepreneurship has finally took a turn and it's fun. And I was... I was high-fiving my videographer, ran inside the house, high-fived Paywen. And then I get a bunch of emails. I get a bunch of emails. And then the first one I got was, wow, Vin, this is so generous of you. You've mentioned 30% off, but you gave us 100% off. And that ride went from fun to terror to no. I ran 
into my computer. I was so, oh my god! I deleted the coupon. Delete, delete, I was delete. like, I'm not that nice. You're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. Just no. send out an invoice for seventy <laughs> percent. Like, uh. I had about twenty five people sign up straight away, and you know what? I just I messaged them and said, "Good on you, mate. You you, you bypassed the system. You yeah, can stay yeah, on. Yeah. It's fine." But I had That's about good five or six. Had about go, go refer a friend. <laughs> yeah, but I had about five or six students that emailed me and said, hey, hey Narvin, uh, I've already canceled my account. Um, I, I want to pay for it. Can you can you fix the coupon system? And I thought they were the sweetest humans ever. Yeah, so, so, I, so I took their money. Full price. Yeah, yeah, so you took their money and didn't give them even the 30% off coupon. No, I gave them the 30%, but I took the 70%, which was great. But to, but to me, that's an example. And, and you know what? Well, you know what's crazy, man? My mind is somewhat calloused there there are calluses on my brain because i was able to laugh at that in the moment i'm not only laughing about it now but in the moment you know there was still 10 minutes and five minutes 10 or five minutes of absolute shock and you're an absolute idiot but after that i just laughed about it i thought it was hilarious Mm. and it just goes to show that if my mind wasn't as calloused and this was the first time i'm launching a product and i had 25 potential customers who got through for free and you know etc I would have been so bummed out, so bummed out. But I think because I'm so used to running with broken legs that I just don't feel that pain anymore and I, I, it just doesn't hurt anymore. Oh. Well, as a practical tool, just going on to that, I think I just factor it in now. Like with really? that that I do you just new. You just plan just for did- punches in the face every morning. Yeah, but I've always <laughs> probably been like that. Like I would generally plan – like to me, even when I, rem- I remember when we started Future Golf, like I just set out the worst case scenario first. Mm. And then from there, then, you know, set out best case scenarios and the goals. But I'm always just trying to beat the worst case scenario. That's probably right. the initial step. It's like, okay, like, can we play a round of golf with 10 of our friends? That was like number one. <clears throat> you know, is it is it a club just for me and five mates? It wasn't whether it's going to be a big organization, because I think you can also get sucked in by the finish line when it's too far away. And then for me, the journey is just a little bit less enjoyable as well. Like if you're sitting there and you're just going for the goal and you're just looking at Everest and the peak, I think so much about it's enjoying every step or as many steps as you can throughout it. See, that's, and, that's, that's where you and I are slightly different though. Yeah. You go, you like the, you aim for the big home run. Well, I, I like seeing the peak. Like the, when I see a peak, it inspires me as opposed to demoralizes me. Mm. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I sh- and, and th- you know, again, that's why we often say in our podcast that I live in the clouds and you live on the ground. Mm. It's why it's such a lovely balanced relationship, right? It's, it's that I, I find it inspiring. I find setting a big goal inspiring. Yeah. 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 I... I do, but I don't in a way as well. <laughs> like no. I think I think you need you need the north star and you need the direction, well, but I just can't get myself too attached to it because it ruins the it ruins the experience and the journey for me. Whereas you're definitely, I know, I mean, and, I, and I look at you, I look at you on the other side, and I think one of your real superpowers is how you can set the Everest goal. But you also have the energy and the consistency to go and achieve that. 
You know, like you're, and that's why I think so many of the things that you do are more mastery based, you know, and they're, they're like, if you, if you put your mind towards a skill, like even now I know you're, you're doing archery and all that. Like it's not nor the conventional way is not to hire a silver medalist as your first coach. <laughs> like that's somebody who's got an intention to master that skill. Like you're not going out there just for a casual spot of archery at that point in time. <laughs> like, like, and uh, we joke around, but I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if you like get close to some sort of elite level competition if that's something that you end up pursuing because that's I think how you're programmed in terms of breaking things down. Whereas I like I like playing a little bit more within that journey. And then if we end up at the top of Everest by some form of what feels like an accident, that's awesome. I think the way you go through it is safer. I think the way I go through it is a bit more dangerous. And 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 I, I bring this up because I was doing a a vision exercise with Pei Wen. And we were sitting down and trying to just envision what our abundant life would be. You know, what would we really want to do for a 10-year anniversary, wedding anniversary? We, you know, we, we want to travel to a, a, hopefully we can travel by that point, like a remote location, a beautiful place, and then just to be able to invite all our family and friends to come. And, and for those family and friends of us who, who couldn't go, we can, we can just say to them, you know, come along to the airport and there'll, there'll be tickets there for you, you know, for example. and. I remember doing that with Pei Wen and even though it's just a vision exercise, trying to just have fun and go crazy with it, it was hard for her to do that. Hmm. And that's what made me think of you is that you'd be similar in that sense in that sometimes if you get attached to that and then you don't achieve it, it makes you sad. Hmm. Whereas for me, I look at the top of Everest and even if I get close to it, but I don't get to Everest, I'm really happy still. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for a lot of people, once they set their eye on Everest and they don't hit Everest, they're not happy. Yeah. Whereas and for I me, I, yeah. I think it's like, I still like Everest, but mm. I'm not too attached to the idea of it. Does that, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense or not. No, it does. It's it like, does. It's like with that thing, like say with that situation, right? If that doesn't now happen. So say you've mapped out that vision. Mm. to do this awesome thing for your family. Will it eat at you if you can't make it happen? Or will you be able to let no, it No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so you, gonna, you have that level happen. of sanity. It just, it just depends <laughs> on how many friends and family that will come along. It, it might just be my mom and my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like but to I mean, me, I'm looking at that and I'm like, all right, I want to do that same thing, but I've got a few caveats. Where it's yeah. like, oh, it look like there might be COVID restrictions. It might be locked down. Um, I might lose like this amount. So instead of paying for all of it, it'll only be half of it. Like, so it'll just have a little bit more flexibility. Whereas I know with you, you will yeah. just like go to the nth degree. Like whether it's like there's no line where you won't stop it from happening. Well, and I know that I you mean, execute I, on it. Like when you I said yeah, it's going to happen, I know that it's going to happen. I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Yeah. When when I when I proposed to Pei Wen, the way I proposed to her was I had this vision in my head. This was my Everest. Was I thought, you know what? I'm going to fly me and all my groomsmen to be. Mm. We're all going to fly to Malaysia, and then I'm going to do this epic video for her of going out to ask all her friends first of all for permission to marry her, 
And then I asked all her friends questions about her, like tell me secrets about her. So I made this video for her. And then I was going to fly after that, all her friends from Malaysia and her parents and her brother over to Australia for a surprise proposal party. And I remember when I shared this idea with a couple of my friends, they're like, oh man, this is insane. Are you like, that's crazy, man. Dude, I did it. It, it, cost, me, it cost me everything that I owned at the time. It cost me something like 35, 40 grand to do this. That was all the savings I had at the time. But I thought, you know what? Stuff it. I want to live, I want to live a fun story. You know, and, and again, I, I, I don't, and I don't regret any of that. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, it's so and, but, cool. But dude, it was, it was such an amazing experience. You know, I, I booked out this room and I remember my cousin told her it was her cousin, my, my cousin's workplace party. And then yeah. when she went up there, she walked into the room. She's like, what the hell? There's only one chair and there's one chair in front of a projector and we were in a room next door, all her friends, her family, and everyone was there. And then she went in and she watched that video I made her. And then, oh, it was just so amazing. I had GoPros rigged in the room. She was crying as she was watching it. As the video ended, I walked in, I proposed. And then that's when she thought it was it. And then after that, <laughs> a friend walked in at a time from Malaysia that she hadn't seen for years. And then at the end, her mom and her dad come in, her brother comes in. It was just and I, I got them all to stay for a whole week. And then we rented a bus and, you know, slept over at our place, slumber party every day, went out to the city. And it was just oh. an unbelievable experience. I'm just laughing because I'm like, and then at the end of the story, she said no, because you went over <laughs> the top. <laughs> and at the end of the story, I married my best friend, Lenny. Oh, <laughs> And then I married Lenny instead. <laughs> this guy's this guy's just a little bit too out there for my liking. Like, what I'm saying is, is that when you when you you know, I guess this is almost the 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 opposite you've of just, the you've just ruined story. proposing for every listener as well. Like now, <laughs> every single person is going to get in trouble because they're. No, I mean, you know what, everyone, <laughs> No, but you're right. Some some girls, some women won't like this. Some men won't like this, and that's cool. You know, you do you. You do whatever it is. You live what story it is that you want to live. But what I'm saying is this is the other side of the spectrum to what David Goggins does. Mm -hmm. David Goggins runs towards physical hardship, whereas I was running towards, it was almost like an Everest version of hardship for wanting to live an extraordinary story. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's a memory that Pewin and I cherish. It's one of the standout memories we have. and. It was hard, man. I mean, it was hard. I had to, I had to part ways with all my savings at the time. <laughs> but and, even just and, the and logistics what, and organizing what, two what, different that, countries, that was, different that was groups, the flying them that in the and out. Part. That was the easy part. I just, I literally took a picture of my credit card and sent it to all of her friends and just goes, look, just book your tickets. I just delegated the buying process and I go, please delete my credit card details after don't, this. Don't ruin the story. You should have been like, yeah, man. And then I had to like fly over there the first time and do a recon and then had to deliver the tickets by hand. <laughs> Drive oh, out gosh. to villages and, oh, that's awesome. It's, no, but I mean- I just feel that, sure, you can go through yeah. physical hardship, you can go through emotional hardship, but on the other side of it, there's a positive hardship as well. Mm. There's negative hardships you go through, but there's, there's positive hardships. And positive hardships are where you aspire for a life that may seem impossible with the mindset you currently have. 
You know, it, it's like David Goggins, man. I'm sure he didn't think, oh yeah, four thousand thirty push-ups, easy. To him, yes. that was uh, kind of a goal he set, and that's an extraordinary story. And and reading through and- this book made me think a lot about what other extraordinary things do I want to do? I mean, I don't want to do four thousand thirty push-ups, but what other extraordinary things do I want to do? Yeah. And then the funny thing with his pull-up story too is he failed at that twice, and he failed on national I TV, know. and he copped it. I think that's the other part as well is when you talk about callousing the mind is mm. like there's internal fears that we have, but there's also, I think the people that can callous their mind the best are those that have a higher level of tolerance of not really caring what other people think. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's such a learnt skill that you have to develop and you have to put yourself out there probably multiple times and realize, okay, well, if I do me, I'll have to own that version of me and what comes with it. And you can't get too hung up. It, it goes back to one of the points that you made earlier as well, right? Like when you started the entrepreneurial journey, so yeah. many people would have said, no, 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 that's not for you. And that just wipes out probably 80% of people. I think even from what I've seen, people that want to start an idea and get it out there, the vast majority are probably finished before they even start because they can't get past that point of, oh, what will my boss think? What will my family think? What will my mates think? They can already envision the failure and it's too much. I think 80% with the idea. I think it wipes out a vast majority. Well, I just look at, you know, there's a funny term, but you call it, we call it the graveyard of Facebook business pages, (laughs) you know, where somebody might, like, I think there's the vast majority that have an idea and that want to do something and then probably don't due to a number of circumstances. And maybe they just even realize that maybe it's not for me. Then there's another percentage that will do step one, which is create a website, get business cards and start a Facebook page. Um, And they'll give that a go for maybe a week or two or three. And then it's probably over. And then there's probably after that, like for the amount of ideas that then last longer than 12 months, call it from those that started and had some sort of launch or plan or were close to starting versus those that are still in existence after 12 months. I don't think it would be a very large percentage. I think one of the most important things you must callous is your worries about what other people think of you. Mm. I think that is probably one of the most useful things to develop a callous for. Like you said, it stops so many people. Maybe those people create those Facebook businesses or those online businesses get a few negative comments and immediately just give in oh. and give up and go, this isn't meant for me. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example as well. I remember yesterday I, I did a video on Facebook just to test out my new setup. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember asking for feedback and I got some <laughs> feedback in the comment section. And I, one of my friends messages me on Facebook straight away. I'll save him the, the humiliation of this. <clears throat> But he, he he messages me straight away. He goes, "Oh, dude, do you want me, do you want me to get into the comment section and back you up?" And and I went, "Wow, I I love that I have a friend like this. First of all, I, I love and I adore him because he's so defensive. He's like a pit bull. He's like, bar, bar, right? And I'll go him. to their house. Yeah, because do you want me to like like back you up, man? And then I read the comment, and the comments were, "Hey, Vin, just a quick thought. Maybe you could just have less frames in the back." Or, hey, Vin, just a suggestion. Those wirings are slight distracting. I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't even negative. But it gave me a sense of how 
how personally he took some of that for me. Yeah. So I can only imagine how personally he would have taken it if it was comments that people made to him. And I think, yeah. I mean, one of the greatest one of the greatest books I think we ever covered on this podcast is The Four Agreements. Don't take it personally. Such yeah. a powerful agreement in that episode. If you haven't listened to it, check out our podcast on The Four Agreements because I, I remember yesterday when I was reading the comments there, I just read it with such, oh, these people are actually trying to help me improve. This is amazing. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and even if it was slightly negative where people go, oh, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, that's still amazing that these people would take the time to do this. And it's just, a, it's a wire on a, on a light. It's not personal. It's not like I'm a terrible person because there's a wire there, you know? So it's, it's interesting because it gave me insight into how, how resistant many of us are or how, how many of us have an adverse effect when someone shares a critique or shares their opinion. We, we, yeah, we react so violently sometimes. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's based on values and personality types too. Like if you're somebody that's more individualistic and you you know, maybe call it that A-type personality, probably naturally there's a greater resilience to that. You know, whereas if you're somebody that's very collaborative and you love working in a team and you, you really do value you know, and you take on board other people's opinions, like I think it would be more difficult to deal with those criticisms. And I think that's why even in the world of entrepreneurship, like you see the personality types, there isn't probably all that much diversity realistically. Like it's, you know, if you tell, if you ask somebody what's the quintessential entrepreneur type, I think we can all paint a pretty consistent picture of what that, that looks like. And I think maybe it's got to do something like that. Even when you look at, call it the, the quintessential military or army type or mm. the quintessential marathon runner or celebrity. Quintessential engineer. Yeah. Engineer, right? Like, yeah. so maybe there is an element of like combining some of those natural attributes, but then also using things that are fundamental to this type of mindset to leverage who you are as an individual. Because that's where I think it's really applicable, right? Like say, for example, the concept of like, I've got no intention to run an ultra marathon, right? But there's so many awesome fundamental principles that you can take from the approach of what it takes to run an ultra marathon that you can implement Mm -hmm. in aspects of your life. And I think that's where it's really valuable. You know, whether it's breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, whether it's getting the right equipment, whether it's getting the right coaching, making a plan, improving 5% every single day, being really honest with yourself and doing the accountability mirror to see, okay, I want to achieve this goal, but where am I truly at at the moment and what's the gap? Like these are the things where they're, they're just awesome and awesome fundamental principles that you can apply in the achievement of any objective. No, I love that, man. And and it just makes me think about what do I admire most about David Goggins? Mm. And what I admire most about him is how how to him the work is never over. You know, it's 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 not like he wakes up today and goes, Oh yeah, I'm done. I've reached a destination. He goes, No, it never ends. Every morning to him, it's like every morning I go to war, you know, every morning I I don't want to run. And I say, Roger that copy that you're going to run double the amount. 
You know, it's like <laughs> good, it's so good crazy. impersonation. That, <laughs> yes, like, Roger that. Copy <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh, God, I did it better, but now I'm nervous and couldn't do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it. Yeah, but it's it's just when when he when he wakes up every morning, he has to fight those demons all over again. And he never stops fighting them. And, and, and again, I don't relate with that because I wake up in the morning. I can't wait to put on my comfortable worn slippers, turn on the heater, walk into the back, make a cup of coffee. You know, I, I, oh man, have a warm shower before that. Listen to inspirational music. There's, there's nothing uncomfortable about my mornings. But I look at it from the format of, I mean, for those of our listeners who can't see right now, this is like the 20th time I've set up a studio backdrop, like setting up a studio space for me to be able to consistently create content that's going to be engaging, to, to, to be able to create a space where I'm inspired creatively. Like to me, this, this was hard, you know, and, and, and realizing that this is never going to end. Yep. Improving this is never going to end if I want to play in this game. If I want to play in the keynote speaking game, if I want to play in the training communications game, the online course game, the online content creation game, the podcasting game, if I want to play these games, this process of improvement never ends. You can't stop. You can't just stop here and go, that's enough. I'm, I'm happy with this. There's no need to improve. There's no need to change. We can just keep doing the same thing now moving forward. Um, That's the most inspiring is, thing about David Goggins is that he never stops. Yeah. One, one of the things that I think is really cool to touch on this, and it's something that, you know, I've learned from you and it's something that I think we both really embrace now, especially is that we call things versions. So we're like, yeah. this is V1, <laughs> this is V2, this is V4, this is V5. Mm. And I think that's a really cool practical approach to get started on things because it removes all of the excuses off. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't want to put in too much effort because you could break mm. it down into little, little mini sprints, right? Like even yesterday, it was funny. You were messaging me and you're like, look, I'm doing the new studio. This is V1. I'm about eight hours in. And I, we made the joke. I'm like, yeah, well, you've got about eight hours left tonight um, because that's usually how you'd go about it. But you're like, no, 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 this is just V1. Tomorrow I'll start V2. And yeah. that's cool. Like you'll go all the way up to V15 or 16, but you break it down like that. It, it gives your continuous improvement a little bit of structure. And I think a lot of people use it in tech, probably in project management, where it's like, all right, here's the beta, here's V1. This will be the roadmap for V2, V3. And it just allows progress because what I think happens if you don't have that approach is especially I think in, in the workplace and even in the business world, when you look at the project holistically, it's so easy for that to become overwhelming. Mm. And just from what I've seen, when, when you're trying to be agile and nimble and get things moving, it's really tough. Like, yeah, you can have the overall arching vision of, you know, the whole picture, but most big projects might take a year or two years. But if you break them yeah. down into one month, two month, three month sprints or little iterations, uh, it's a really cool framework to keep moving forward. I think another pragmatic thing to mention here as well is the, the reason I call it V1, V2, V3, V4. I mean, to add to that, another pragmatic thing you can do to really inspire yourself on the journey is to document the progress because a lot of the times the progress is invisible. 
Like for me, when I started setting up the studio, for example, I started only having the front lights. Then I put a hair light. Then I put a backdrop light. And I took photos of each iteration as I added things, as I added the, the iframe and as I added the picture frames, as I changed the quality of the mic, bought a better cable for the microphone so that it, you know more of the quality gets transferred across to my production switcher. So it's like I document all these little changes so that the progress that usually is invisible becomes visible. When, when, you, when you don't see the progress and when you don't learn to see the invisible progress at times, you lose motivation and you think, oh, I made no progress, whereas you actually did make progress. And the most classic example of this one is weight loss. It's so easy for you to think you're not losing any weight because the only measurement you're looking at is the kilograms. But what if you've gained muscle mass? You know, what if you've gotten... I think we may have just lost Vin there for a little bit. Hopefully he can jump back in and his internet reconnects. But I think just on this concept of talking about progress, one of the things that I personally do is just measuring things, measuring as much as possible, which is, and I use a couple of different tools for this. I use tools like Asana, which is a project management tool. And then that just becomes a task list of things that I want to achieve or progress use a tool called evernote where you can just have really cool bullet dot point lists that then go through and can outline little items you can use a piece of paper like for example one of the little tools that i use is i have just a handwritten piece of paper it's got the month written at the top and then it might just have some of the key areas that i'm looking at improving throughout that month broken down um, into a few different categories and even just little things like right now in Melbourne, we're in lockdown at the moment. So it's like, look, get work done, spend time with the family. But then I've just got a little list of like books and movies and TV shows or video games to play. And then even that then starts getting sequenced out and then you can just start progressing that, whether it's quickly, slowly, you know, whatever. I, I I don't want to I don't want to ignore what just happened. I just want to let our listeners know that my internet has been disconnecting a lot. I'm going to definitely be checking up and asking my internet service provider what's going on. However, <laughs> this is a form of us callousing. Just resilience. Our, it's resilience. <laughs> it really is. But I have to tell you, I'm not that bothered by it right now because uh. this is a regular occurrence, which is really <laughs> annoying. However. However, the the, neg- the the level of negativity at which I, I normally experience, <laughs> it's a lot less now, which I think is proof that it's it, I'm very callous. And, callous, callous. Yeah, it's just, oh gosh. Anyway, what were we talking about? You, can you tell me when it just cut out? Um, we were talking about progress. progress. And oh, invisible progress, yeah. When your internet when cut, your internet cut out. out. <laughs> I can use some echoing there. Vin, is that coming through on your screen? Oh, you can hear echoing on my side. Yeah. So this is just more resilience, right? Us this being callous. <laughs> I'll connect my AirPods and then we'll, uh, we'll sort that problem out. In awesome. But I think this is such a hilarious example of this where we're going live, we're broadcasting this. And the first thing that we did was just laughing emojis to each other where I think again, like it just shows that 
you know, look, there's two ways to look at it. You can get angry and we can get frustrated and start feeling bad about, oh, what about all the listeners? Like they just had to cop a whole minute of us being disconnected from the internet. Or you can just have a <laughs> laugh about it, like own it. And then we jump back in. And I think that is also, there's a pretty cool little lesson just in that experience that you just well, keep moving it's, forward, right? It's a, tr- it's a true representation of what life is like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it is right. I mean, it's 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 yeah. just a true representation of life. Yeah, because yeah. Li- life isn't just smooth sailing. Life is going to have its ups and downs. And I mean, something that that uh, in David Goggin's book it, it writes about as well. And it's it's life's not easy. There is pain, sadness, humiliation, hardships, failed dreams, death, everyday ups and downs. And to be great in life, you need to be prepared to confront suffering. And time and time again, this topic seems to creep in all the time. And it's that life is suffering. There's a lot of suffering involved in life. And if you've got no calluses, then, man, you're going to be in for a lot of pain. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that came to mind when you were yeah, sharing the story before is around just the concept of owning your story. And again, I'm going to give you full credit for this as a little toolkit, but I think it's just so powerful and important to share with others. It's around that thing that you were saying about what you did with your parents, how you took your video camera out and then you interviewed your parents for like two, three hours. And when you were sharing this with me, you were, and I'll let you jump into it, but I just wanted to share that I recently did this with my mum. We, we jumped on a Zoom call. I interviewed her. It ended up being about a four and a half hour call. And we just went wow. through our, you know, like childhood, some of the ups, the downs and going through it. And it just colored in so much more of the story that I'd forgotten about or that I couldn't see as a kid or I got mum's perspective on some of these things that I, I viewed in a certain way, but then see she sort of showed me the other, the other side to that story. And it just when I and at the same time I was reading this book and it just made me think about the, just the power of owning your story and then seeing what you can learn from it. And I don't know, it felt like this cathartic self-awareness type of exercise because, yeah, it was just more vivid. And it's like, oh, well, this makes sense that this is why I do this now or this is why I'm interested in this or, oh, wow, I actually, I used to play mini golf when I was two years old at the shopping center that I'd completely forgotten wow. about. So the love of golf is there or would walk in the snow to the library and, you know, I'd want to read eight, nine books as a kid that I didn't really realize. And now it's like, oh, so that's where that love of books maybe comes from. But all these little bits and pieces. But, yeah, share a little bit about this and how you came across this idea why you did it because and, and the approach that you use because I borrowed it and it was awesomely powerful in terms of owning your own story. Well, I mean, the reason I think if you if you want to link it into owning your own story is that mm. when you are born, you're not in control of your story. Just like David Goggins, just like you, Ali, and just like me, but for me, it was a positive thing, right? In that the person who writes your story when you're young, it's your parents and the people around you that are your superiors. They are the one that write, they write your story. And then you grow up and then you, you develop enough mental strength and financial independence and independence overall. And then you begin to write your own story. Some people choose to do that. And some people for their entire lives, they don't get to write their own story. But the reason why it's so important that you talk to your parents and understand more about them 
and more about your childhood, things that you may have forgotten, is so that you can know your full story. You know, it's so easy to forget about like what you said. You used to play mini golf when you were two or three. I mean, that's insane. It just sheds so much light on why now you you run future golf potentially, right? So, so to me, I wanted to get to know the people that gave birth to me better. And what sparked it was when my mother-in-law passed away. When she passed away, it was such a shock to our family. It was, oh man, it was such a heartbreaking time. And what I regret the most in the moment it happened is that I've always been fairly handy with a video camera. I filmed lots of videos of her and, and us traveling around Vegas and the road trip we did in Vegas. But I didn't ask her for stories. I just filmed us doing fun stuff, us jumping on rides, us you know, sightseeing, us laughing while eating a meal. But I didn't engage in conversation because I wish I got to know her better. I wish I heard her story and understood more of Pei Wen's story through her. So, so when that happened, it just made me reflect and think, I want to know my parents' story better and therefore understand my story better. So that's when I decided to, when I was back in Australia, I grabbed my camera out and sat my parents down and they were resistant. They're like, no, this is weird. This is awkward. I don't want to talk about it. But the moment we started talking, they forgot the camera was there. Mm. And <clears throat> I asked them things that I've never asked them before. Mm. You know, tell me about how you felt when you came to Australia and had nothing and had to start again. You know, I, I, I heard them sometimes mention stuff about this, but I never dug deep. You know, did you feel regret when you came here? Did you feel shame? Did you feel scared? Did you feel fearful? You know, what was the racism like? And I asked them all the questions that I've never asked before. And I heard stories that I've never heard before. And I also learned about myself through that process. But more than this, this is now an insurance policy for Xander because if anything ever happens to my mom and my dad in the future, and it's inevitable, you know, it's old age, it, it, it's waiting for them. But then now Xander has this beautiful series of video clips where if he ever wants to revisit and know what mom and dad were like, or my mom and dad were like, he has it right there. Mm. You know, there were moments when we laughed, there were moments when we got teary, you know, my mom, crazy, my mom reminded me of the story how giving birth to me nearly killed her. You know, and I, I forgot that. I forgot that, man. I, I just didn't even think about that. I mean, yeah, look, look I, I encourage everyone does this if, if they've got a good relationship with their parents and if it's something they want to do. Of course, I know some relationships wouldn't warrant this. But if you've got that connection with your parents and you just feel that little bit of awkwardness, like, oh, it's kind of a bit weird. Yeah. You know, should I be? No, just... Just like David Goggins, right? He, for him, it's the ultra marathon, 134 miles. For you, face that awkward conversation and just do this because the relationship is better for it. Yeah, You deepen the connection with the person if you are willing to face this discomfort and, and, and just do it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And one of the things as well is like, I think there's two sides is, A, how do you approach someone? And it doesn't even have to be parents, right? It could be a sibling. It could be an uncle or auntie. It could be a teacher. Just somebody that maybe you spent time with yeah. in those early years if you've got that person in your life. But I think 
the other bit is how do you then approach it? Because as you said, there there is that little bit of awkwardness, like to go up to your parent. Like in my case, I was like, hey, all right, mum, mm. we're going to, I'm going to interview you for, <laughs> you know, a couple of hours. So I wonder if there's a better approach to position that just so that people can apply it a little bit more and also a little bit around structure because you gave me a really cool structure, which I yeah, then followed, yeah. which was you break it down into eras, yeah, right? And I think that's also important because having some foundational questions or going through a little bit of a timeline will help um, yeah. probably get good information out. Like we, I think we broke it down zero to 10 years old, 10 to 20 yeah. years old, 20 to 30 years old. But I also did pre-me. So I did like ah, her 20s to 30s. I haven't done that. Her 30s to 40s. So then I could get an insight into, okay, well, who was she before mm. me? You know, like what was she doing at that point in time? What were her dreams? What was she about? What was life like? What was the the family environment? Because that was one of the things that I really wanted to know too is like, okay, well, before me, like what was my parents' relationship like? Like was it always just rubbish or all that? And there's just hilarious stories like around like when my mum first met my dad, like he was didn't even rock up to the airport to meet her. So it's like red flags were probably there right oh. at the beginning. <laughs> And we were just having a laugh about, well, the writing was on the wall, but I still went down that path, which is, but it was just so funny to look back on that. Like these are things that happened 35, 40 years ago and Mm. to just color in that picture, which is, which is brilliant. No, thanks for bringing that up too. I mean, I think, Mm. like you said, the structure is really important. It gives a framework for you to start the conversation and it's nice. You know, I love that pre you baby you, adolescence you, adult you, you know, just kind of go through that that simple little timeline. And, and I mean, to start it for me, the way I started it with my parents was I said to them that I, I buy life insurance, I buy, you know, the permanent disability insurance, I buy home insurance, I buy car insurance, but I'm like, mom and dad, the, the most, most important insurance for me is insurance for Xander and you guys. Because I've had the pleasure of knowing you my whole life. You've been the most loving parents. You've been amazing. And I want Xander to know you as well. And I don't want just teenage Xander to know you because we know the frontal cortex doesn't develop to that when you're in your mid-20s. <laughs> I want Xander in his mid-20s to know your story. And I worry that by the time Xander's in his mid-20s, you may not be able to converse the way you currently can. So I want to protect that and build this insurance policy. And again, it's one of the reasons we do this podcast, Ali, or I do this podcast is because I want to time capsule my brain at 34 and and let Xander see it when he's 34 and listen to it when he's 34. Mm. Because there's beauty in seeing people grow in the moment. It's so easy when you're 80 and go, back in my old day, what you do is, it's so easy to do that, but it's, so much more inspiring to grow with someone and not just tell them what to do, but you're growing together. And so I captured a lot of my mum and dad's struggles now, you know, in their mid sixties. I remember one of the questions I asked them was, what are you struggling with now? You know, and it was fascinating to see some of the things they're struggling with at their age now, you know, it's, it's, it's things I don't even think about. So it's, it's crazy. I think it's so important to do with the people you love, not just your parents, like you said, Friends, family, neighbors, whoever you, whoever's had a big impact on you. Yep. It's a, it's a really well, cool exercise. I mean, let's, let's get back to the book for a moment, right? Mm. 
the this is a really powerful quote. One quote that I really love from David Goggins is, you're in danger of living a life so comfortable and soft that you will <laughs> die without ever realizing your true potential. Mm. Right? And it's such a David Goggins quote. But <laughs> it's true because this whole 40% thing really made me reflect on what other areas am I only applying 40% of my time to? You know, it, it's, it, it was really intriguing and the whole idea of becoming becoming uncommon among the uncommon like that's a, a i mean do i want to do that i don't know yeah. i don't know i don't know if i want to do that i don't know if i want to be uncommon amongst the uncommon i'm not sure if i actually do want to do that do you, do you want to be uncommon among the uncommon no i don't <laughs> i don't think so i think the uncommon bits i've got I'm pretty satisfied <laughs> with that amount. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to get messy. So I think like, I don't know. It, it's a bit like we admire the uncommon amongst the uncommon. But they are that because they're so exceptional and so outside the normal square. So there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice there's a that they have sacrifice. to make to be the uncommon amongst the uncommon. It's like you said at the and beginning. I wonder if David Goggins is happy. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is. I don't know. It just depends what the ultimate goal is. Yeah. Right. And, and this is where we go back to it being relative to the individual. Like if your mm. desire since you were born was to be the best in the world at something mm -hmm. and it's been a desire just continuous for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, then I think you maybe owe it to yourself to at least give it a go at being the uncommon amongst the uncommon. But I just don't think that that's for everyone, right? Like, and, and that there's maybe a danger in that in the society we live in because the people that we celebrate are the people that are exceptional and they are the uncommon amongst the uncommon. But I think now we also see like just with the nature of social media and biographies and books and documentaries and all these things that like sometimes when I look at these stories and even when you look at your heroes, whether it's like the Michael Jordans or the Tiger Woods or the whoever it is, like you end up going through and then it's like, oh, well, all right, outside of them being exceptional at their craft, would I want to actually be that person? Because that's the other side with this is those, we've spoken about it before as well, like those people that you admire, to get their outcome, you have to take all of the good and all of the bad. You can't just have mm. the being the best in the world at your thing. Uh, it, it's got to come with the negative sides as well. And I think that's the interesting part where my view has changed maybe over the years, where I used to have these people that I wanted to really emulate. But then as I started getting digging deeper into them, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's awesome that they can do this one thing great. But then there's also a serious flaw on the other side that comes with that outcome. You know, whether it's, oh, well, that person fractured every single relationship that they ever had in their life to get to where they got to. Or that person had some dark secret that got uncovered at some point because the pressures of whatever they were doing was so intense. So mm. I think that's the other bit is no matter what the goal is, and I think this is what I've been just really interested in lately is when we take actions and when we do things, 
just being really comfortable with what the trade-off is off that action. And there always is one, right? With anything that you progress or move forward, there's a trade-off. There's also a trade-off with not doing anything as well, but just being really comfortable with that. That if you go and try to run that ultra marathon, it means that Mm. you're going to pay some price, whether it might be an injury, it might be time away from your family or focusing on something else. But that's where getting clarity, and again, we go back to owning your story, knowing exactly who you are, what you're about, and then picking your things might be a little bit of the secret sauce into finding that. But then to what level you go to, it's each to their own. Yeah. Right? Like say with the podcast, if we wanted to be the Mm. uncommon amongst the uncommons, we could do an eight-hour podcast every single day, 365 days a week. (sighs) We could invest all of our resources into promoting it. We could get a publicist, try to sign Mm. a contract with some major distributor, get advertising, you know, move to the same state have a big studio, like you could do it. And then we could probably make ourselves uncommon amongst the uncommon, right? Mm. But that comes at a price. Now, over five years, will we enjoy doing an eight-hour podcast, 365 days a week? Will it fracture the relationship at some point? Will (laughs) there be creative differences? Like it just changes things. So Mm. like even when you look at Goggins' story, when I look back on that, it sounds like even when he was going through the Navy SEALs, Like, it wasn't that enjoyable an experience. Like, it doesn't sound like the people that he was going through that with really liked him all that much Mm, either. Now, he obviously doesn't seem to care at all about that because it's always about the mission and the goals. But if it's somebody else that maybe cares about the relationship side or the connection side, then is the David Goggins route your route? Maybe not. But are there things that you can take from Goggins? Like, whether it's waking up a little bit earlier and taking some action? Sure. Like, mm. so, so would I want to be David Goggins? No, I would not personally. Like, yeah. That's not me neither. my thing. But, but the first time I read this book, which was, I don't know, a few years ago when it came out, I think I probably wanted to more at that point. Like I was like, oh, that's amazing. I wish my brain worked like that where I could just go out and run a 135. Like you, you feel hyped up, which is the awesome part about this. Yeah. Book. It's a very motivating book. It gets you mm. in the zone that, yeah, you know, like it's really hard to go and do something lazy after reading the book. I think, like, even there's like a short term flow on where all of a sudden you're just a little bit more energized and you go do yeah. some sort of challenge. Like, I found that even the first time I read it, <laughs> I did. I can't remember well, what I did. Like, dude, like cold showers this, or whatever it is. <laughs> this whole studio that I've built now has yeah. come as a result of reading this damn book, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I, I, I've been creating content in my other studio in my garage and then just reading the book and, and just, you know, you got to move towards discomfort. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh man, do I have to build this studio all over again? You know? So to me, I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's try to live out some of the values of the books that we read. Probably not going to do it forever though, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because the key and the core thing of what you said is you've got to know yourself. Mm. You know, a a lot of the times when you read books and and sometimes you listen to motivational speakers or you listen to inspirational figures, and if you find yourself having an adverse reaction to some of the advice that they share, I feel like sometimes our adverse reaction can come from the place where we don't really know ourselves very well yet. Whereas when you know yourself very well, you can go, yeah, that's cool that you feel that way. It just doesn't apply to me because that's not one of my values. 
Whereas when you are unsure of what your values are, anytime anyone shares any value, you feel like people are trying to push values onto you. You know, just because David Goggins <laughs> does this, it, it makes you feel like you have to do this. And while you were saying what you were saying, it, it made me think of what's one area where less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, what's one area where the, the, the safer route or the more average route is better? And the one area where average is better is investing, mm. right? It's like you shared with me the Charlie Munger book. And it's amazing to, to learn from some of the best investors in the world that the best investment you can make is when you invest in ETFs, you know, and, and, and it's just a nice, slow and steady 8%, 6%, 10% if you're lucky. And don't worry about all the 40% ROI and 20% ROI because over a time span of 25 years, the mm. safest investments are the best investments. It's, and no it's hilarious how, how funny it's that hilarious. is. Like even, even when I look back, like I've done so many out there things and one of the most consistent things that I've got is superannuation that I earned <laughs> while I was in my working career, right? Like it just wow. is. It's just, been, it's just been growing and I haven't touched it. I didn't do anything mm. for it. I, I made one decision when I was 20 and <laughs> the power of compound interest just yeah. takes its course. But yeah, it's hilarious. Like those, the, those little things. But then it, but then- there's also the excitement factor, right? Like in my story, like if my story was, hey, you know, it'll be a very short paragraph. Like I worked for 20 years, I ticked the right box on superannuation, and then it resulted in this amount of money 25 years later. That's not as exciting as not being able to buy tickets and having your website fail and having the podcast uh, run the internet disconnect and then to come back and you re- <laughs> redoing your studio 15 times. So I think there's two sides to that as well, where mm. at times security is awesome and safety and consistency is brilliant and just making that ETF style decisions awesome. But then at other times buying Bitcoin in 2011 and selling it for a pizza is also was exciting. pretty good ride, you know? So mm. again, know, you know, what story, like you, you said it earlier, know what story you want to write. And at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's, it really isn't much more complicated than it's your story, right? Like, and sometimes yeah. I struggle with this thought, but mm. I always think about it, even with, like we get so attached to the world around us, you know, whether it's our work, our businesses, our relationships. And that that's awesome because the attachment's what leads to connection, you know? So that's where we get those really high emotional experiences. Like if you're completely detached, it's probably going to be very difficult to feel a lot of excitement and sadness and joy. But then on the other side, it's like you kind of have to be detached and also know that, all you can really do is control your character in that story as well. Like that's at the end of the day, like, I don't know, maybe it's too simplistic, but like right now you're living Vin Jang and that's going to impact other people in some ways. Like if you decide tomorrow you wake up and you're like, I don't want to do the podcast, right. That's going to be like, Oh, that sucks. You know, for me, that impacts me in a way, but at the end of the day, it's your decision, right? Like it's Mm. your story. But if you're fully comfortable with that, it's sweet. Like you're just going to move on. And it's the same with relationships and making choices. And I think that seems like the real big theme in this um, episode is 
own that story. And even with his, like that's probably what you can take away from it is that he just owned his story. He didn't really let too many other people dictate it. And there's potentially a lesson in that as well. It's it's like when you play a game on PS5 or yep. Xbox Series X, whatever console you play, console. and and you and you play a character. The only character you can control is the character that you're playing. Hmm. You have you have no control over any other character, whether you're playing open universe, multiplayer, or whatever. There's only one character you can control, and it's so easy to. You know, when, when you play a game, it's so straightforward. Yeah, that's of course, that's the only character you can control. Whereas when you play the game of life, it's so easy to fall victim to the illusion that, oh, I can control my partner, I can control my best mate, I can control my employees. No, you can't. You can only control the character that you're playing. Yep. And, and it's also incredible to know that just with one character, you can have incredible impact. It's yeah. just you have to, like you said, Whatever character you currently have, just own that character because that's the only character you're going to get to have and get to play with. You don't get to change yep. characters. You don't get to change avatars. This is this is it. Yep. And it's this is like it. it's so funny that analogy of the video games because it's like mm. it's nearly going to the point where everyone else is a non-playable character. So yeah. they will also then react based on what you do. It's like in Grand Theft Auto or something, right? If you start running over people in the streets, everyone, like the cops are like, it's the same kind of thing with life. And yeah. I think that's why there's so many great parallels with video games and life in that sense. But the yeah. thing is when yeah. we play video games, we, you know, and we take more risks in video games, right? We, we explore more and we, we, we try more things. We're more adventurous. Whereas I think, Sometimes in our own lives, we we play it a little safer. Just kind of like that that fear thing we talked about in the beginning, where we allow things to scare us. You know, we don't confront the monsters. Whereas in the game, the whole reason we play the game is to to fight the monsters. If we were just running around the open world fighting no monsters, it's boring. Whereas in the game, we become the warrior. We fight the monsters. We defeat them. We get to the next level. We fight the next monster. It just makes me think that you know, if we take that same approach to this life as well. You know, in it, it, pair pair that game analogy with this book is find the next demons, find the next monsters to fight. You know, it may not be you know your demon may not be that marathon. Your demon may just be find an identity outside of work. You know, that's something I had to do. For me, I I was afraid to find out the other sides of me because it was non-existent. You know, it didn't exist two years ago. So I, I really love the concept of that gaming analogy. Find find that monster. What are the monsters that exist in your life right now? And find them and defeat them. Mm-hmm. Past the level. Clock yeah, past the, the level. Yeah. It's boring staying on the same level forever. And and you can break it down. Like how, how good do you want your video game to be? Like what missions are you doing to get past that next level? Like, mm. And everyone will have it. You know, whether you want to, is is this level about getting healthier? Is this level about starting a new job or a project or overcoming a fear? And then what are the five, six little submissions that you need to do? What what skills does your character need to build up so it can conquer that boss level at the end of it, <laughs> the, the monster, um, to get past the next level? 
Like you can turn it into a game. And when your internet went out, I was talking about that just even with little things. Like you can gamify your own life in ways too, whether you use tools, you know, going back to that. I don't know whether that got missed in the episode or not, but using tools like Asana or using just having a piece of paper and having the list of things that you want to do and then mm. have the word level complete at the end of it. Um, so you can start seeing that progress. Um, it's another way. Like you mentioned, you take photos of stuff and you document it visually. You can also document progress with a list. Mm. It paints a pretty cool picture. I think it removes, you know, we do it as well. Like when we have our documents and strategy documents and stuff too. Like it's very easy to get lost in and and to get sucked into that feeling that, oh, I'm, I'm failing, I'm not making progress. But when you see it written out, it can at least give you comfort that, oh, well, action-wise, I've controlled the bits that I can control. Now, result-wise or whether there's a little gap in time right now because I can't progress that any, mu- any um, much more, that's fine. But at least that way you can see it holistically as – as a visual tool. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. I I feel that in, I guess in closing with this book, how has this book changed you, you think? Or has it changed you at all? Has it changed anything about you? What, what, what kind of impact has this book had on you? I think for me, this, this reading, it was more just around like resonating with his stories and looking more deeply into my own stories and then seeing, okay, what, what, what fuel do I need to collect on? Like, I love the cookie jar analogy. Like where, where do I need to find those cookies if, if I need them to keep moving forward? And, you know, and even at the, at the top of this episode, we we're talking about the, the current environment, you know, it's changing for a lot of people, no matter where you are in the world. Like the reality is, is current COVID or post COVID or whatever the new COVID world's going to be the new normal. I think, Heaps mm. of people have experienced large amounts of changes. You know, I don't think anyone has really just been able to avoid and, you know, kept their life exactly the same. Maybe there's a small percentage that have, but even to them, the world around them has probably changed a little bit. So mm. I think what principles can we use from improving our mindset to navigate through the uncertainties and to adapt to the change is also really important. And I just feel like things like knowing your own story, being comfortable within yourself, being comfortable within your environment, taking actions but not being too attached to the outcomes is also another really cool toolkit because that's what I found personally. Like one of the big things during the pandemic is if you get too attached to certain outcomes – you quickly realize that the circumstances of this environment is probably not going to give you a high level of certainty of being able to execute that outcome, right? Like, mm. like you can have a travel goal and you can take every correct action in booking that travel, but if your government shuts down the airport or the place you're visiting locks down, it's not really going to matter too much. So having a healthy level of detachment to the outcome and just embedding fluidity is probably a good skill to sharpen up in this environment. And then being agile enough to then take an action when needed to jump on an opportunity and make the most of changing timing is also probably just something that I've been looking at. Now, whether that's related to this book or not, I don't know, but it's just more what's running through my head at the moment. 
No, I, I think that's a, that's a great summary of the things that you got from it. I mean, even, even sometimes it doesn't have to be a direct lesson from it, but it, it sparks thoughts about other things that are related to it, right? I mean, you know, even though I have these crazy goals of traveling, like, for example, my big goal was to travel to New Zealand this year. I had a full road trip mapped out for two weeks. And even though I love setting you know, big, extravagant goals, the moment New Zealand shut down its borders to Australia and I couldn't go, that was fine. I mean, I, I just then go, well, what's that next goal I can what set? Can we do? And then for me, it was camping. For me, it was, mm-hmm. you know, go on a two-week road trip with the family. So I love the word you use too. Don't be too attached to it and be flexible with your goals, especially right now in the world, because so many people have had their goals and dreams taken away. For me, it was just a road trip taken away in New Zealand. For many people, their careers have been taken away. Their livelihood's been taken away. Connection with their parents, you know, time with their parents. Some people have lost their parents. So I think the advice you just shared and the thoughts you've just shared about, we have to be flexible right now. Mm. You know, we have to be flexible with the things that we reach for. Some things we'll have, some things we won't have. We also have to detach from some of those things. I think that's such a powerful set of lessons you just shared. Thank you, Ali. That's awesome. No, man. And, I, and I, I, yeah, go, right? Well, I mean, just complete your thought. I think you want to complete that thought. So complete it, and then I'll share what I got from this. Yeah, no, just as you were saying that, I think it was just more around – like even now, like I know so many people have lost out on things that they had planned or in their environment that changed. And and I just feel like empathy for mm-hmm. when, and you feel compassion for people when, you know, whether it was a wedding that was cancelled or they haven't been able to see their parents. But I think also underlying that is for those that are really still holding on to that and holding on to the thing that couldn't happen for whatever reason, like just free yourself from that tether because is this going to hurt? You know, it's ultimately you're the person that's hurting because now you've brought that into your story. Like your narrative can potentially be all the things that you've now lost or all the things that didn't pan out how they were meant to. Right. And I think that's been, when you look at the pandemic, like that's probably been the most challenging thing because base level, when you go outside, the sun's still shining, the birds are chirping, you know, like there's still, you can find simple joys potentially in things, but it's really hard to do that when you're attached to the things that can't potentially happen in that moment. That's why that detachment tactic is quite a powerful one. Another tactic outside of detachment is simplifying your life. It's, I wrote a post about it on Facebook the other day, and a lot of people engaged with it on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. And it was the whole idea of when we're young, we get taught how complex life is. And then as we get older, we have to learn to simplify life again. Because you're right, when we're young, we have to learn trigonometry. We have to learn all these different types of math equations to learn and understand logic and critical thinking. And we have to learn you know, all these complex things about life, managing relationships and everything. But then at some point, you have to remember to simplify things down again. And I think when you simplify things down, what do you need? You know, for me, it's, well, I need food. I need water. I need shelter. I need time with my family. You know, when I simplify it down, there's not a whole lot that I actually need. Yeah. And as I simplify my, my needs and wants down a little, 
I feel better. And then that is that almost is a form of detaching mm. from the things that I don't need. It's true. Yeah. Mm. Well, one last thing I'll mention then is what, what I really got from this book is that there's no quick fixes. I mean, I think David Goggins, the, the reason when you hear his stories, they're so long and, you know, he takes an hour to tell a story, it, it paints the picture. It, you, you truly see that it's not an overnight success where it's very easy to read some stories and it's, oh, I used to be poor and now yeah. I'm the founder of Dyson and, and you know, I sold the Dyson <laughs> vacuum cleaners. So it, it's very easy to, to listen to a story sometimes and just hear from top to bottom. I love that his stories took hours on end. I love that he explained all the agony pooping his pants while he went running and breaking his legs and breaking his toes and all the nails come off. I love hearing all of that because it shows me that there are no quick fixes. There are no quick fixes to anything. If you want to get to that elite level of physical condition and you know build yourself to what David Goggins is with his health and his physique, there are no shortcuts. If you want to build that incredible business as an entrepreneur, if you want to climb that corporate ladder, if you want to become that best parent, whatever it is you want to do, there's actually no shortcuts. There's no easy way to achieve that. The quote that stands out there is when we dream, we don't dream about the pain. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a good one. We don't. We don't. But it's, it's a good reminder that we have to work for the things that we want. And it's going to be hard work so that when you're going through the hard work, remember, this is a part of the journey. It's meant to be hard. And that's what was so incredibly comforting for me because as I dive back into this world of trying to create an online business and create an online course, when there are days where I get no sales, you know, it's easy to go, oh man, this sucks. What the hell? But to me, it's just the reminder that, hey, it's meant to be hard, man. You know, this is a part of the journey. This is it, this is the correct path. This is right. This is good signs. You're on the right path. <laughs> For sure. And and the flip side to that is if you don't want to do the hard work, just own it and get really comfortable with the fact yeah. that don't live in that world of I should have, could have, would have, wanna. So true. Like, like just own that this is where I'm at and I'm actually pretty comfortable with it. Because I think that's that's the other thing that the world now sucks a lot of people into is that achievement overcoming it being the being the extreme level of you know overcoming adversity because they're all the stories that we celebrate so the other side to that is if you want to just chill chill but chill freely yeah and that's pretty difficult that's probably equally as difficult than than the well well, it is i i over the weekend i stayed at a hip camp site (laughs) Uh, up in Sterling in South Australia. And big shout out to the to the property owners there. It's called Pimbroke. Uh, Pimbroke uh, at Hip Camp. And, and they're amazing because they've gone for a complete opposite lifestyle to what most people are going for. You know, most, again, the entrepreneurial circles we play in, everyone's working really hard, the hustle bustle mentality. They just bought a block of land and they're executing the fire strategy, right? You know, they they've dropped their financial outlay to almost minimal. They've become basically self-sufficient on their block of land. And it's amazing to see what they've been able to create for themselves and their life out there. It's a life of looking after animals, looking after the property and just that's it. That's all they do. 
They look after the land every day. They grow their crops. They get their solar from energy, solar energy, and it's just an amazing. They just own it, you know. And and it's just amazing to see people who have the courage to own their own story and not not kind of own that story, but look over the fence and going, ah, oh, damn, wish I had a Ferrari. Ah, you know, it's. I love that. I love that. That's the kind of core message you took away because you've helped me take that away because I didn't take it away when I was going through it. But it's it's the whole. Own your own story. Know who you are. Get to know yourself, and and, and just live that out with no regret. You know, love it. Awesome. Thanks, Ali, for the podcast. Thanks for doing this with me as always, and thanks, thanks to all man. our listeners as well. Thanks, everyone. That sounded so insincere. <laughs> thanks, Ben. <laughs> thanks, 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 man. Thanks, thanks. thanks. No, but really. Uh, big thank thanks. you to all our listeners and thanks to everyone who helps support our show, share the show. And thanks for those people who give us ratings on Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify Podcasts and whatever other platforms there are on here. <laughs> we will see you on the next episode. And if you see this video on social media, please do leave us a suggestion as to what books you think we should cover next as well, because we'd love to hear what books you are reading out there and what books you think is great. Otherwise, you can find us at www.vinandarlishow.com. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Awesome. Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali Show. We've created something that we're really excited about, and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.